Good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shoe Untied. Today, I'm very pleased and honored to have with me as my guest, David Pogue, who's a um, columnist at Yahoo Finance, reviews high-tech uh, gadgets and toys and devices. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, David, you just obviously got back from the very exciting Apple announcement of the iPhone 10. I know you've been talking about it, but tell me a little bit about whether this time, and I know you've been there numerous times, was it a little bit different or was the excitement level different? Tell me about that. There are a couple of reasons for the heightened excitement. First of all, as any smartphone fan can tell you, recent advances in smartphones have gotten smaller and smaller. Oh, it's a little faster. Oh, the camera's a little better. It's not not like the old days where they would add Big things like, oh, Siri or, oh, you know, camera on the front. You know, that's that's all been done now. So <clears throat> rumor had it that there were going to be some really much bigger announcements. And also it was held at Apple's new campus <clears throat> a mile and a half from the old one in, in Cupertino, California. This was the first event ever held in the Steve Jobs Theater and there's just no way without visuals or without sending you there, I'm going to be able to describe how unbelievable this theater is. But let's let's see if I can begin. So you approach this theater on the top of a hill. It's the, the lobby is an entire giant circle of glass. Like, mm. uh, I mean, the walls, glass walls in a circle, round glass walls supporting a giant disc that is the roof made out of carbon fiber. So there are no pillars or supports of any kind. The curved glass walls are supporting the carbon fiber roof. Then you go down these incredible stairs hewn out of marble, uh, including the handrail hewn out of marble. And <laughs> one lady was going down the stairs. I heard her saying, there's no Italy left. <laughs> so much marble. Or you can take this incredible cylindrical glass elevator that is facing into this giant above ground lobby when you get on, but is facing inward to the theater underground when you reach the bottom. So the elevator has to rotate as it descends. Hmm. So the cylinder you're in is slowly turning as you're going down. And of course it's all glass. So you can see it. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is it's an amazing piece of architecture. Um, and then came the phones, which after the Steve Jobs Theater were less interesting. But there's the iPhone 8, which is just so boring. It would have been the end of Apple if that's all there were. The, it really, you know, better camera, a little faster. And the big change there is that the front and back are made of glass now so that you can use wireless pad charging. You can recharge this thing by setting it on a pad just as you've been able to do with Samsung phones for years. Um, and the nice thing there is that Apple has adopted the Qi standard, the, the, the same charging pads that Samsung uses. Uh, they're available for like 12 bucks from Amazon. So they didn't insist on their own system. So that's good. And then they introduced the iPhone 10 that is with a Roman numeral X. And this is the one that's going to cost a thousand dollars coming out in six weeks. And, um, this one's really quite a quite a gorgeous, amazing thing. Um, the big deal here is that it's the size of a regular iPhone with the screen of an iPhone Plus. Mm. And you may wonder, how did they do that? And the answer is they got rid of all the margin around the screen, including 
the black band or white band at the top and bottom of the screen where the speakers and microphone and home button used to be. Hmm. So, now, yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I assume you got a chance to play around with it. Did you get to keep one? Do you have one with you now? Uh, nobody got to keep one. We did get to do hands-on and try them out and play with them pretty much as long as we wanted, but under close supervision within Apple's you know special area. Uh, so, no, everybody will be reviewing it much later. Oh, interesting. Now, do you think, um, obviously, I know you've been to a lot of events when Steve Jobs is still alive. Do you think that um, it's just not the same when he's not presenting, or what would you say about that? Uh, I think that, I mean, the big change is that there is no more Steve Jobs idea man. I mean, Tim Cook is a, a brilliant humanitarian and a great uh, you know, administrator and numbers guy, but he's, he doesn't dream up product ideas like Jobs did. So many people have noted that the stuff coming out of Apple is no longer category changing like it used to be. They tried. The Apple Watch was supposed to be a whole new category, but so far it's not really catching on. Mm. So well, it's not not so much the showmanship as the product ideas themselves. Well, what did you think about the iPhone 10? Were you pretty excited by it? Did you think this is really new and cool? And what did you think? I am very excited about it. I, uh, I mean, the, the, things people say about it that they don't like is that it's a thousand dollars and that it's copying the Samsung galaxy. Um, you know, the fact that it has the edge to edge screen has the wireless charging. And by the way, without the home button, it now unlocks instead of using your fingerprint, using face recognition, Mm -hmm. uh, a really sophisticated depth sensing 3d one that's far beyond what Samsung has and, and supposedly works much better. I, I tried it about 20 times, and I found it to be pretty pretty amazing. Works in the dark, works if you change your hair, your makeup, your glasses, uh, works if you grow a beard, if you change your hat. Uh, it's, it's really pretty great. Um, so, you know, on the price thing, yeah, that's, that's $300 more than any smartphone from Apple has ever been. Um, on the other hand, A, you don't have to buy it, uh, and B... <laughs> Uh, you know, people also pay a hundred dollars for a dinner or, or $70,000 for a car. I mean, there are high end things in this world. And if it, I mean, what do you, what machine do you use more in your life than your phone? It's your, it's your camera, it's your GPS, it's your computer. It's, it's the machine you use more than anything else. So you could argue that, you know, amortized over three years, that's 50 cents a day, not even counting the resale when you sell it. And the other point is um, that Apple is not the first to get up to that $1,000 barrier. You know, Samsung's Note 8 is 960 bucks. So this is the new world. They're, they're looking for new markets, and so they're going for they're super deluxe. Now, is this Apple event, uh, is this kind of one of your favorite things that you do um, in your job or favorite events that you go to every year? Uh, you know, it's... I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing. It's it's uh, it's a marketing piece. It's very canned. It's rehearsed with an inch of its life. Um, and fundamentally, we already knew every single thing they had to say. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the, the leaks were unbelievable. Yeah. An Apple employee explained to me why this is. Um, nowadays, you can go to a factory worker in China and offer him $1,000 to, to give you a phone picture of, you know, the, the iPhones that they're cranking out. Mm. And that's, you know, that's a year's salary or something. So 
Um, that's something that Apple, you know, can't fight against in its when it says don't leak. Mm. So that's that's one reason that the the leaks are so much more prevalent these days. Mm. And so detailed, like you said. Yeah, we had we had pictures. We knew about the wireless charging, the face recognition, the thousand dollar price. I mean, we basically knew everything they had to say uh, yesterday or day yesterday, including you know, there's a 4K Apple TV. There's an Apple Watch that has cellular, so you can get your calls and texts and music without needing to carry your phone. Um, I mean, we, we knew everything beforehand. And then after the presentation, the, the, the upper tier journalists get briefings with the Apple executives where we can ask questions, but basically where they say the same things for a third time. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's fun. It's exciting to be with other people, but the real fun for me is, you know, trying this stuff out, writing reviews and seeing people's reactions. Right. And, and even though you knew everything and you knew all the features and everything, but you're saying that when you played with it and touched it, it really was pretty cool. Yeah. For me, the, the big thing is, you know, the big screen and the small body. That's, that's something I personally wanted for a long time. Uh, and yeah, Samsung ha- did do that last year. Um, but what, what people miss is that it's not really a choice for most people. Mm. If you're invested in the Apple ecosystem, you have an Apple laptop, you have bought movies from Apple iTunes store, you bought apps that run on your iPhone. You can't just say, oh, I like Samsung's phone better. I'm going to switch. You've got this entire ecosystem you're tied to. Um, and it's the same the other direction. So, um, yes, it's, it's, it's a battle of features that Apple and Samsung steal from each other. I mean, this year, the, the Apple's new, uh, Samsung's new phone stole a bunch of stuff from the Apple. You know, like they have the dual lens camera on the back that creates that blurry background portrait mode. You can now write animated handwritten doodles that you send to people by messages. So, you know, it's an ongoing battle of, of copying each other. It's just the way the world works now. Right. But it, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everyone's going to leave behind their Samsungs to go buy an iPhone. All right. Well, that does sound pretty cool. Well, tell me a little bit about how you became such a world-renowned product technologist reviewer. How, tell me a little about the history of that and how you got into the space to begin with. Well, let's see. Uh, my self-analysis is that I love magic. Hmm. And as a kid, I used to love I Dream of Genie and The Six Million Dollar Man and Bewitched. Those are my favorite shows. I love the idea that you can wave your hand and something does your bidding. So my theory is that the reason I'm attracted to technology is that it's the closest thing we've got mm. to actual magic. You know, I can, I can be in your office and open my phone and change the temperature of my thermostat in Connecticut. You know, that's, that's magic. Or I can, you know, I can speak to Siri and have it, have her do my command. That's, that's pretty awesome. So I'm not really a technician. I don't, I don't, code. I don't, I've never taken a computer apart and rebuilt it. Uh, I'm really just about the consumer end of it, the the magic end of it. Um, so I started after I graduated from college, my first ambition was to be a Broadway composer. So I wrote musicals for, for 10 years in New York, trying to get those produced, uh, conducting Broadway shows in the orchestra pit. Um, not, not many people realize that that was my, my original ambition. Um, and during this time, uh, along came this sheet music program called finale where talk about magic. You could play a piece of music on your electric keyboard 
and it would turn it into sheet music in real time. Mm. So it was very, very, very magical and amazing. So that's where I first started really getting into technology. And I, I became the guy in New York who knew about this program, who could teach it. Uh, I wound up writing the manuals for versions 2.0 and 3.0 of that program. I just got really into it. And over time, I guess my teaching and writing skills slowly became more in demand than my composing skills. Hmm. Now, do you consider yourself really more of a, a techno technologist geek or more of a journalist who happens to be interested in technology or sort of a technology geek who happens to write about it? I mean, how do you sort of see yourself? Uh, I guess fundamentally as an explainer. So I've, I've done, you know, technology and I've written many, many how-to books, like a hundred books on, you know, computer topics, technology topics. And also I wrote magic for dummies. I wrote classical music for dummies. I wrote opera for dummies. So, uh, and I've also done a lot of, uh, science reporting. I write a monthly column in scientific American and I've done 18 Nova specials on PBS, the science show. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I, I fancy myself to be sort of, a uh, a journalist explainer. Hmm. And do you know, I mean, obviously you've had incredible success, you know, you're so widely known and, and liked, do you know what it is about kind of your style or what specifically it is you think that, that makes it interesting or why people like to hear you explain stuff? I mean, do you, have you had, have you thought about that at all? Uh, I mean, I think, I think fundamentally what I try to do is first of all, to explain something like a human, I never use jargon. I never refer to you as the user. Um, or I never say price point instead of price. I just, I'm very sensitive to the obnoxiousness of, of techno jargon. Mm. And I guess the other thing is I, I try to do everything, uh, with an entertainment quotient. So, uh, I, you know, I, I do song parodies, I write columns in rhyme, and I always, always try to add some humor to, to everything I do. Mm. So I think, you know, for, and, and not everybody likes this style for sure. Uh, there are plenty of Pogue haters, but, but the people who, who do like a little entertainment with their tech, uh, seem to enjoy it. Hmm. Well, tell me a little about since you've now, you've been in Yahoo now for a little while. Are you, how is what you're doing in Yahoo fundamentally different than what you did at the New York times? Or is it fundamentally the same? You're just doing it for a different venue or tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I love explaining this. So, uh, I wrote a weekly tech column for the New York Times for 13 years. It was 1,280 words every Thursday. Um, and, you know, Yahoo came along in 2013 and said, you know, we'd love you to, to come over to us and write for us. And I was like, well, to do what? To write, to write a review column like I have been? And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. I'm like, or do you mean something bigger, like start a whole website? And they're like, fantastic, do that. <laughs> and I'm like, or do you mean like the whole thing, like host conferences and develop apps? And they're like, perfect, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really the answer to your question. I mean, Yahoo is you know, young and, and everyone there is sort of idealistic and startup-y and, and there's just immense creativity there. Uh, it's It's very, um, like every conversation at Yahoo begins with, you know what we should do? Or, you know, let's do this. It's, it's just, mm. it's kind of invigorating for a, a 50 year old guy like me. So 
Um, yeah, they, they give me carte blanche to do what I want. They, uh, have amazing, amazing video crews and video facilities. Um, I can go do a remote story. I can, um, you know, travel to California to interview CEOs. I can do skits. Um, I've, I've written music videos they produce. Uh, it's just joyously creative. Um, and it, to be sure, it's not, it's not the New York times. It's not the hallowed prestige of, you know, David Pogrites for the New York times. It's not that anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a bigger audience. Um, because I, I now write for Yahoo finance, which is the biggest business publication in the world. 75 million readers a month, uh, read Yahoo finance. That makes the wall street journal and Bloomberg look tiny. Um, <laughs> But, um, so, so it's a bigger audience, but it's a different audience. It's not the East coast, West coast, you know, elite, uh, intelligentsia. So that's a blessing and a curse. But in general, from a creative standpoint, uh, I absolutely love these, these folks. And I, I just renewed my contract for another couple of years. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. What would you say the most fun th- of all the things that you do, whether you're reviewing products and write columns and doing the skits and, and all that, and the videos and the interviews, what would you say is actually the, the, the most fun thing that you enjoy the most? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm also a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, and uh, that is also just an incredible, incredible outfit. They, I do maybe eight stories a year them. I get to suggest the stories. Um, they are an old school news organization. So they believe in really reporting and getting the story and interviewing multiple people to get the story, you know, the world's best producers and editors and writers. Um, and of course it's this enormous national television stage that I get to be on. So, uh, in terms of pure satisfaction and, you know, being recognized in airports and, soothing my ego like that uh i I gotta say that's that's the top of the heap for me well and of all the products you um play around with do you have any particulars that are favorites is is mobile phones kind of like your most favorite toy or technology or do you i mean give me a feel for like what are some of the stuff you really like reviewing and looking at playing with um you know i i'm into all kinds of different things um I think my favorite thing is to discover something great that nobody knows about Mm. some little startup with something really wonderful. Uh, last week I reviewed a Yamaha digital piano and this is going to be hard to describe, but basically you plug in your iPad into this piano. The piano analyzes the music in your iTunes library, like pop songs, commercial songs, And on the iPad screen displays a piano part based Mm. on the harmony and rhythm it hears in that pop song. It's it's for learning to play the piano, right? It's much more compelling to sit in with the band and and play along with a recording of a song you already know. And you can slow it down without changing the pitch, which is really useful for learning. And above the keys, there are these little... LED lights that fall down to give you warning about what key to press when, like Guitar Hero does. Mm. Um, so just such a cool idea, this this way to get kids or, or adults uh, more interested in practicing as they learn the instrument. Um, it's, it's never been done before, this technology of, of analyzing a recording and producing a finished sheet music piano part 
generated in real time. And you can you can say make this piano part easier or make this piano part harder. It's mm. is really something. So that's kind of cool. Um, and you know the phones, uh, you know they're, they're kind of stag stagnating. You know like. Mm-hmm. Like, how often do we write about new refrigerators? We, mm-hmm. we don't. They're, they're done. They're evolved. They're baked. Um, and it's kind of getting there with the phone now, you know? Like, there, there really aren't any, like, whoa, this phone does that feature anymore. <laughs> well, I'm assuming you don't have to do that much research. I'm assuming everybody in the world tries to email you their new stuff. So I figure for you to find stuff, you just have to read your email. Is that pretty much the case? That is pretty much the case, yeah. My... my <laughs> list of products to consider reviewing sort of takes care of itself from PR people. Although the, the one thing that I do have to do is frequently somebody will pitch me on what I consider a good idea, but I need to make sure it's not the only one. I don't, I don't want to mm. cover product X because they have a PR firm who pitched me when products Y and Z have been around for a year and I just didn't know about them. So, so the real research is finding out, are there others like it? And I'm a big believer in roundups. Review mm. all of them together. So somebody just pitched me on a vertical mouse for your mm. laptop or your desktop. It's it, Instead of twisting your wrist so your palm is down, the idea here is it's, it's twisted 90 degrees like you're holding an ice cream cone. Mm. You move your, your hand around. It's supposed to be better for your tendons and more comfortable over time. Uh, I'd never heard of such a thing, but, um, it's, it's pretty cool. And th- I thought, wait, maybe I should make sure there aren't other vertical mice. There's like 20 of them. Mm. So, so now I'm doing a huge roundup of those. Well, it sounds like you're having a tremendous amount of fun. Obviously you just renewed your contract for Yahoo. Um, do you see yourself doing anything else in the future? Do you have any other goals other than what you do? Or do you think you, you're just going to keep doing this for in, you know, as long as you're having fun doing it? Yeah, I think that. I mean, my my world is always changing. It's always evolving. You know, I'm, I'm working on a, a speculative fiction futuristic novel right now. So it'll, it'll be my third novel, but my first really big meaty novel for grownups. Um, and I'm I'm trying to pit always interested in doing more shows for uh, for Nova, maybe even pitching a series to Netflix. We'll see. Um, so it, it's always the same kind of stuff, but it's always growing in new directions and new formats. Does it feel like you're getting paid to have fun or does it feel like a job actually? Uh, no, it's definitely the former. <laughs> I am, it is, it is the worst, most unfair thing alive that I am paid to do what I do to, to open up expensive electronics and play with them only as long as the novelty lasts and then get rid of them. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is my idea of heaven. What do your kids think about your job? Can they believe that their dad has a job like this? They're, they're pretty blase. I have to say I have two kids in college now and, uh, and a seventh grader. And I think they, uh, I, I think they're impressed frequently Nova episodes that I've hosted are shown in science classrooms all across America. Mm. So it, it reflects well on them when their friends in school see one of these shows aired in their science classes. So that's always cool. But, oh, and they, you know, I guess they like to play with the gadgets when they come through. But I wouldn't say that any of them are gadget nuts the way I am. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not that different from your dad's a, a lawyer or a doctor or a toll booth operator or a gardener or whatever. 
Now, it's funny because you commented that in my show, I interviewed a lot of lawyers. You know, I'm a lawyer. And it sounds like you came from a family of lawyers. What does your family of lawyers think about what you do? <laughs> I do. I do indeed. <laughs> uh, my dad was the managing partner of, of Jones Day, a huge law firm. And uh, his dad was the founder of the firm. And his dad was a lawyer. And his dad was a lawyer. I wow. mean, it goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, my brother and sister are lawyers. Uh, so I was definitely the, the black sheep. Um, and it's kind of a great story. I, I was never really interested. And when I was 17 and about to head off to college, um, I had this conversation with my dad where he said that he, I said, so dad, dad, what's new in your line of work? And he said, Oh, I'm, I'm defending RJR tobacco against a guy who died from lung cancer in his estate. And I'm like, Wait, you're defending the tobacco company? <laughs> I, I found that horrifying. I didn't think I could do that. So anyway, so as college wound down, I announced to my parents that uh, instead of going to law school, I was going to go to Broadway and be a musician. And it didn't go down especially well. My dad said, well, tell you what, why don't you take two years to fool around and get this theater thing out of your system? And at the end of two years, if you're not actually on Broadway... Uh, then you'll go to law school. That was kind of the deal. Um, and incredibly, in the 24th month, uh, a show I'd been working on opened on Broadway. And then, then it was then it was all different. Then it was my dad at cocktail parties going, well, my youngest son, you know, he's a Broadway <laughs> conductor. <laughs> what did your dad think about you now, now that you've got this fame and everything? Oh, he's super, super proud, super supportive. Uh, just the greatest, the greatest. That's funny. So I take it no regrets about not going to law school or anything? No, sir. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've always fundamentally been a show-off. You know, I was the class clown. I've, I've always been just creative. You know, what interests me is music and art and theater and making new stuff. So, you know, I really can't imagine myself with a with a nine-to-five job. I just don't know how I'd survive. Did you ever imagine when you were a kid that you'd be doing something like this as, as your as your profession? Like, did that even cross your mind or anything like that? No, the whole the whole technology thing. I mean, I never saw that coming. I, I guess as you analyze my youth, you can you can foresee little bits of it. I used to love making sort of Rube Goldberg contraptions in my bedroom, like like you open the door and that turns on the lights and opens the shades and starts the music playing, makes the bed, um, but. But mainly that I was into magic and theater. You know, mainly that was it. So, no, I couldn't have predicted. Well, David, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've seen you so often on TV and on the web. It's just a real pleasure and honor to have you as my guest. So I really appreciate your taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. This is Richard Chu and David Polk. Thanks. Thanks. 